Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias. Anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? We think it's accurate to say that 2020 and weeks into 2021 have been filled with chaos and immeasurable stress that's led to increases in alcohol, substance abuse, and every form of addiction. Our two guests today are going to share their personal stories of their friendship and their personal relationships with addiction and recovery. Barry Brown is currently the Senior Director of National Marketing Communications for Kaiser Permanente and has been sober for over 33 years. And Michelle Palmer currently works for the LA County Department of Public Health, Substance Abuse Prevention and Control. Welcome, the two of you. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks for willing to coming on and, and, and share your story with us. I just think it means so much when people can humanize the story of addiction and understand the journey and what it takes. So, and you know, I have so much respect for you both and I appreciate you coming on to talk with us today. Let's tell everyone first and foremost, how the two of you met. You want to go Barry Brown? <laughs> we met in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was actually my first that I went to and we met and we had... Alcoholics Anonymous, in order to uh, get the program and stay sober, you are suggested strongly that you get a sponsor. Uh, I was asked to go to a particular meeting by a counselor at the recovery place that I was in. Uh, I begrudgingly went to this meeting. I dressed all up for it, and uh, they introduced me to the lady that was going to be my sponsor. That's a whole other story. And she also was sponsoring Michelle, and we just became really good friends uh, uh, with the sponsor as the catalyst. Oh, that's great. That's cool. Michelle, you want to add anything? Anything? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was there. I had been sober almost a year. Uh, when Barry drove up and uh, we were so in anticipation because we had heard she was coming and she came dressed to the nines and we were like, what kind of new person is this? And, um, you know, um, initially I was like, oh, I don't know about her. She, golly, she's got an attitude, you know, but a lot of us come in with attitude. And um, our sponsor at the time was very much into family and um, connecting, and, 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 and she just created a tribe of, of women um, who were looking all for the same thing to, you know, change our lives and, and, and you know, find family. And um, over these years, I mean, I've known Barry now 33, almost 34 years. Those are the longest relationships I've ever had. Mm. And, you know, I mean, she's my sister. She's my sister, period. I love it. We have a lot of stories. Yeah, we're hoping to get into a couple of them. Um, so when did each of you know you had a problem? Oh, my God. <laughs> With addiction, specifically. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, go ahead, Michelle. It's a progressive thing. So initially, you know, I was just having fun, and it went from maybe on the weekends to 
all through the weekend. Through now it's going into Monday and Wednesday, and then it's every day. And the drugs and the alcohol progressed. I mean, as far as what I was taking and what I was doing and the trouble I was getting in behind it and uh, what I was willing to do for it. So I would say, basically, I had come here from California. I would say probably after, like, my third time at Civil Brand, which was the old L.A. County Jail, oh, okay. uh, I realized there's really something happening. But even at that point, I had no control. I had no defense. I was in there with the chaplain, and we were praying that I wouldn't come back. And as soon as they let me out, I had to go get me a drink. So it was at that point that I really realized I'm out of control. I mean, I have no control over this. I have to do it. But that still didn't warrant me seeking any help. Yeah. Barry, when did you first realize that you had a problem with addiction? Well, I mean, I will agree with Michelle. It's a, it's a progression. I don't think that when you come in that you're thoroughly convinced Mm-hmm. that you have a problem, right? I mean, you know, that the, the, the thing with alcoholism, addiction uh, of any kind, is it's centered in the thinking. It's not an external disease. It's an internal disease that starts from way before you even pick up or, you know, drink a drink, a drug or whatever. And, and I was no different in that. Uh, I tried a lot of different things. I tried to stop a lot of different ways. I tried to control it and manage it. And even in spite of multiple jail stints, multiple robberies and just complete and total chaos in my complete. Mm. There's zero uh, in the beginning, you know, there was a little bit of fun and there was a little bit of, you know, some nice limousine rides, hanging out with friends, doing a little coke and behind the limbs, you know, in the back of the limousine car, going to concerts. It was, you know, a little fun, Uh, but then because I already had, Uh, the thinking around, you know, that internal stuff, not enough. Mommy and daddy didn't do this, you know, didn't have, you know, what I needed to have to cope with life. That was the mechanism for me. And so as soon as I picked up that drug, I was like, life was on fire for me. You know, it was like, okay, this is good now. But I didn't have the ability to stop like some others did. I didn't have the the ability to control. So even in spite of all the chaos I was not convinced that that was the problem. It was everything outside of that. Everything else, the people, the places, the things, the this, if I just had that, if I could just do this, if I just change this, all of that on and on and on and on. It's Groundhog Day over and over and over again. I was cornered when I realized I had a problem. As Michelle said, I came to the meeting dressed to the nine because everything for me was solved from the outside in. Mm, so I dressed so up everything from the outside and I went to a job. I was always able to pull it together really quickly and, you know, dust myself off, but start all over again. So I showed up at a job. This is a true story. Everything about me was from the outside. Even though I looked 90 pounds, my face was all sunk in everything. You couldn't tell me I had a problem because to me, I, you know, I, you know, I thought, Nothing was wrong. I showed up to a job. I had on two Mitch Mac shoes. I had on a brown shoe, a black shoe, or whatever. Oh, wow. Wow. My boss had already called me in once before, you know, with the, with the question, are you okay? What's going on? You know, if you don't show up to work pretty regularly and you, you know, you're, you're in the car, sleep at work, they, they generally think there's something wrong. And so he asked me that. And uh, I just happened to be 
sort of looking down, really upset that he even called me in and asked me this. And I saw that I had on these shoes. Immediately, I felt cornered and I felt like I needed to say, I have a problem. Can you help me? I didn't believe it. I said that because I got to get out of this. How am I going to overcome this shoe thing going on? That was what my head said. (laughs) And he told me, he rushed, you know, to get me into a recovery place. Uh, and, and I went in and I had been to other ones, but I started to hear some things and I started to hear people talk about their lives. And as Michelle said, I was, I was very angry when I came in here. I was very angry. That's the mo- that's the feeling that I knew the most about. And I heard a counselor say, you're not going to make it. You're going to be the one cause you're, cause you won't listen. And my head immediately said the magic words, F him. Mm-hmm. And so I did it in spite, but it worked. Mm. So, you know, one day at a time. That's really such a touching and incredible story. I mean, to look at the both of you, know how successful you are, and you clean up well, the two of you. So yeah. no one would ever believe. I mean, sometimes when you tell the stories, I'm just like blown away. It's like, no way, jail, come on, not you. You wouldn't have fit in there at all. It just seems crazy to me, you know? So- I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, the moments that are not so pretty, not so attractive, you know, that rock bottom people talk about. So thank you for taking us through that. Um, so ultimately, it's, my question is, ultimately, how did you give up your relationship with addiction? I understand it's a process, but what was that final reckoning that was like, look, we're not in a healthy relationship, you and me. Uh, <laughs> I need to break up with you. Like, what was that moment for you? Well, you know, it's very funny that, you know, Barry has the same similar, I mean, my Eskimo, as we term a person who really helps you pivot, I was sleeping at my desk at work. Wow. And my intervention occurred then. I, too, was like, nothing's wrong. I always felt I could fix it. I always did. I always thought, you know, I'm just having a hard time right now, but it's going to change. And I literally was like conked out. Next thing I know, I get a little tap on the shoulder. Oh, Michelle, would you come with me? And I was oh, like, this is it. Yeah, there you go. I'm like, oh, like, like Barry said, this is it. I'm cornered. This is it. How else do you explain being at a job that they're paying you and you're knocked out sleep? And wow. Um, wow. it was at that time that I surrendered, as we say. You know, I really realized the jig was up. I had no more defense. I mean, you know, there's nowhere else to go. I was staying with friends. Well, not really friends, acquaintances, people that, you know, kind of did what I was doing, you know. And at that time, I was was off into everything. I was a garbage kid, you know, type user, drinker, you know. And heroin and alcohol was like my my big thing. I told my boss at the time, uh, and I worked for a a Fortune 500 company at the time, you know, and I'm going in downtown LA looking crazy as heck every day thinking nobody knows nothing. (laughs) I mean, I'm laughing. It's not funny, but it's It's just funny. It's not, I'm not laughing because it's funny. It's just hard to believe that. It's funny now. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's funny now. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's funny now. I said, when she, asked me what's happening with me. And I said, you know, I have a problem. And at that time, I only felt I was an addict. I knew I had a problem with heroin at the time. 
but I didn't think I was an alcoholic or anything. She said, I'm going to help you. And that was uh-huh. like, ooh, when I think about it, I get emotional. Yeah. How can but that? um, yeah. And she helped me get into a program. That's amazing, Michelle. And that's Thank how you so I much. started my journey. But I was willing. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. Barry. So to your question of how did you know when you, you know, knew that, it was, you know, you had, you were, you know, given up or whatever and stopped. Right, but, right. Uh, I, you know, I, unlike Michelle, I was not willing uh, when I came. I went because I felt that I had to and uh, because I had been to others because I, there was reasons that I felt like I had to. People were saying, you know, you, you got a problem. Look, look what's happening. And different outside reasons I went and I didn't walk in there thinking I, I'm totally willing to do this. I went in thinking I'll do this, you know, get this thing over with and come out, and, you know, get I'll, I'll come out and do it better than I was. I'll get it. I'll get it right. You know, even with, you know, grown woman, you know, taking walks to the park, escorted with the counselor, you know, I mean, you know, that that'll give you a sign that something's wrong. You know, you got to walk with a park to the park with an escort that brings you back. You know, you got to eat at a certain time. You got to do these things. It's really about that's the first step. That's the first thing. Can I, can I get in a room? Can I, can I get somebody, can I get an intervention that uh, for, 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 from not just me, but others that admits I have a problem? You know, that's, that's like the first thing. I have a problem. I don't know that I said I have a problem. I said I have a problem right now because I got to get through this program. Okay. But as I, as I went through it, uh, there's a, there's a saying that's my favorite saying around here. It's called uncover, discover, and discard. As I went through it, I started to uncover some stuff about me unconsciously. There was stuff that was coming up because people shared, because people were talking about stuff. And I was identifying with their lives and their stories. And it felt, it felt familiar. Like, oh, okay, I, I'm doing that. You know, that's, it's probably not okay to go to jail every other week. It's probably not okay to do the things I was doing. It, it's probably not okay to take these illegal actions that I was taking. I mean, I can't even describe the level of dysfunction. I, you know, I say it a lot in that we, my, Michelle and I, are truly, truly, really lucky and blessed just to be here. Yeah. Not yeah. just from the drugs and alcohol, but from the risk we took in our lives from the places that we went from the people that we hung out with you know it just was uh absolutely a blessing that god has kept me still here today mm-hmm. i think for me it be- i became willing because it started okay. to be better um i started to get some clarity i started to see straight and so i became more willing to stay here and i started to do some work on myself. And I started to understand that I was doing this because of that. This was happening to me because of this. And as you said earlier, you know, looking at us, you'd never think that. And that's absolutely what happens. When I sit in the world today with my executive colleagues and this, that, and the other, if they knew my story, I don't know theirs, theirs might be just as, you know, whatever, but if they knew my story, I don't think they'd believe it either. But the fact is, I have to work this program still. I have to go to meetings. 
we, we have to do this thing still because it's it truly is a one day at a time thing. I like to tell the people that I sponsor, if you're not working a program, you're looking for a fix somewhere. And it doesn't have to be any more drugs and alcohol. It can be the sugar. It can be the chaos. It can be whatever you might be addicted to in your head that tells you, I need this to check out. I need that to check out. This is right now, this time, 2020, uh, uh, it's difficult for a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous and in Cocaine Anonymous and any other anonymous program right now, because one of the biggest parts of this program is the fellowship and being able to connect with others. So it's really difficult for us right now, but we just have to do this thing one day at a time and stay willing, not necessarily get willing first, but stay willing. Stay willing. That's great. That's really helpful. The other thing is that there has to be lessons that you've learned, obviously, to get you thus far. What's the greatest lesson you've learned from your addiction? That it's centered in my thinking. <laughs> yeah. You know, that it never was an outside job. It never was yeah. about the drugs and alcohol. It was about the way that I thought. It was about my inability to manage life yeah. on life's terms. Mm. My inability to function in a way that didn't tell me that I wasn't enough, that, uh, you know, I, I didn't fit in that, you know, whatever someone's demons are, whatever those things are that tell them, you know, and sometimes they don't, people don't have to have that. So I don't want to make it seem like everybody has to have come okay. from a home or okay. whatever, because we don't, but it's still centered in your thinking, whatever it is that's, that's telling you, I need this to function. My biggest lesson learned was that for me, I needed to change the way that I thought about me first, learn some new tools in life and continue to practice them. Great. Thank you. Michelle, your greatest lesson? I would agree with that. I, what I learned in going to 12-step programs was that it did center in my thinking that I had an alcoholic mind and an addictive personality long before okay. I took the first drink. It could be anything. Um, but I got into that and that kind of, you know, got me through all that. But through my addiction, I realized, see, I was an isolation person. I felt like people didn't understand me and I was disconnected. Oftentimes I would have been in, I would be in my room, just me, my music, my black light, my, you know, my Angela Davis posters, you know, I'm just nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. And I felt disconnected. And what I found out by going to meetings and stuff is that I needed to connect with a power greater than myself. Because I always felt like I had to be in charge of my life, that people weren't going to protect me, that everybody was full of crap. And so I'm going to run my life. And I did. I ran it right in the ground. I, you know, and um, having, you know, wow, that is one thing that I treasured about these last thirty-four yeah. years is yeah. that I don't feel so different and apart from. I have people that I can take a risk with. I have people I trust, you know, with everything, and um, you know, it's just a beautiful life. But there, like Barry said, I have to do some work. I didn't, just, yeah. you know, this just didn't happen to me overnight. I didn't have these thoughts and 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 be here overnight. I had to go through some some things, you know, yeah. and I had to commit 
to the process and practice, which I'm yeah. still doing. I'm still practicing. That's one of the reasons why Barry is one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. You know, and she's my sister, so she's like above that. But mm-hmm. there's a few of us, you know, and there's a lot of people, you know. Yeah, I know over. what you're saying, though. But we I have a group, saying. and all of us are really into, you know, trying to be better people. You know, just trying to stay sober and be better people and be more of what God wants us to be. And so, understandable. I all of them as well. Great lessons, you two. Um, I just want to say this very quick is that, you know, yeah. Michelle is 34 years, I have 33. And to somebody who, you know, is, is just getting this or trying to get this or whatever, that seems like, like, like oh my God, that's like, you know, incredible amount of time. It is, right. you know, we're out of it. But it is a one day at a time thing. You know, like it's just crept up that we now have 33, 40, uh, 33 and 34 years. But it's been truly a, just a one day at a time thing. You know what I mean? I appreciate like, you saying that. Yeah, there's days we we feel just like that person who walked in just the other day trying to pull it together, you know. Right. You know, right. That, the that difference so is much. they're trying to shake off the addiction. The thinking, like I say, is can be the same. Yeah. Absolutely. Go ahead, Suze. Well, first of all, you guys are magnificent. And I have my own relationship with recovery. So I really and listening to everything that you're saying. What is the most important thing to know about recovery during the pandemic in the middle of an increased awareness about white supremacy, racism, and all the other stressors that are going on? What advice do you have for people right now in the middle of a pandemic? What's the most important thing to know? Barry, Michelle? (laughs) I was going to say that, you know, alcoholics are very resourceful. You know, we're survivors. And thankfully, we we jumped on Zoom immediately. I remember oh, going great. to my job and saying, and I work in substance abuse prevention. And I'm like, oh, I know. Program, we're using Zoom. We're connecting, you know. Mm-hmm. So I would say through this time, the, the first thing is, thank God we have Zoom and we still can have some sort of connection because that's what's yeah. so important. Yeah. I think that, there is a lot out there that is happening, but just focus on how you want to be better. This is one of the things that I think that I have survived. This has been, obviously, there's been a lot going on, you know. And yes, I may have opinions and all that we all do, but I know I can come to a meeting. I can share about how I feel, you know. I can have friends that I can talk to. And I think it's very important to get a support group that you can talk to. They teach us to get a sponsor and all that. That's great. But they may not be available. You know, Mm -hmm. prayer, meditation, you know, get quiet. What I have learned in program is that I am powerless over those things. All I can deal with is just my behavior, get, you know, try to get some relief with my alcoholic thinking, you know, and just keep coming. Like Barry said, one day at a time. Connection and community. Yep. Yeah. That's what's been created even now. You know, there's a saying that we have in Alcoholics Anonymous called just don't drink or use no matter what. So mm-hmm. no matter if your ass falling off, is falling off, pick it up and go to 
Yeah, yeah that's great. Uh, and so, you know, even if it's a Zoom meeting, you know, it, when we came around here, Michelle and I, there was a different type of what we all old timer. Michelle and I are considered old timers because we have so much time. I don't like the word old timer, so I've changed it to uh, long timer. But but they were very very historically grounded in AA in terms of the, the the foundation of AA. So if you were new and you came up to share at the podium or something and you were just brand new, they would tell you sit down, shut up. We don't want to hear from you. You have nothing oh. but to tell us oh. about. They would tell you, stop walking around this meeting. Just sit down. Be mm. quiet. They, they would come pick you up if you needed a ride to a meeting. Now, they still do that now, but they were very, very, in a very, very good way. Today, it's a different climate. You know, younger people, older people, middle-aged people are a little bit different in terms of how they manage their, you know, whether they want to be told what to do, whether they want to be given advice, whether they think that, you know, they even have a problem. So, you know, it is really important, as Michelle said, to establish a fellowship, whatever works for you, whoever your crowd is, um, if they're working this program, if they're doing this thing the way that it's supposed to be done. Um, one of the other things is don't rewrite the, don't rewrite the program. Don't yeah. make up your own steps. Don't make a program because <laughs> a lot of times that happens around here, but it's really important to stay close as you said, connections and community, as Michelle said, just fellowshipping and continue to don't drink or use no matter what. Pick up the phone and call someone. Yeah, reaching Great. out. Yeah. How do you both feel that class and race play into people getting help for what they need? Well, I don't think that shows up as much. It, it does as much in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, in the rooms. There are rooms. What about at home? Yeah, well, yeah. And so I was going to say that getting them into the rooms because of social economics, racism, bigotry, things that are happening in their lives that give them less hope, that give them less motivation to do something different in their life absolutely exist you know so my black and brown brothers and sisters are less likely to come into a program to have access to the same type of program and health care and need assistance that some of those uh, some of my white brothers and sisters have and so that's a problem we are more than likely to go to jail before we are offered recovery and so that, that's a problem. In the rooms, when you can get in here, there is less likely, it doesn't not happen, but it's less likely for them to see, unless you're in different, different areas, right? To see you as a person by color first. They see you as an alcoholic who needs help first. Another suffering and sick alcoholic. And that's the model, right? It does not always happen. There's places that I've been to that, you know, They've said some things and I've had to call it out, you know, but other outside the room factors influence their ability to get here, stay sober, have the things they need to get sober. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want people struggling with addiction to know? Michelle? You know, that is always... You know, there's certain streets I could drive down and I will see, and my heart goes out to the women a lot, you know, the young girls that are out there, you know, selling themselves and whatnot. And you just want to say there is help. I mean, I've done things like that. 
there is help. My job now, having Medi-Cal is an easy way to get into treatment in LA County. I'm always willing to help someone, you know, to get the help and to get started on, you know, 12 steps and stuff like that. It's heartbreaking. And I know now how it probably felt for people that loved me mm. when I was acting out, mm. you know, and when I was doing my thing and you couldn't tell me that I had a problem. You know, all you can do is be an example, let people know that there is help out there. And that's probably one of the reasons why I like working where I am, because I've helped some people personally try to get into treatment, you know, um, not that I have that much influence, but I'll definitely make a call and say, hey, you have a bed. Yeah, it's the disease of addiction is not an easy thing because it is a disease of denial. Yeah, I don't have it. Yeah. What are you talking about? Right. Yeah. And, that- and until that person can say, you know, or maybe like Barry said, well, okay, I'll go in because you're putting some pressure on me. Yep. They might hear something. You know, and, I, and when we say go in, you can go to meetings. Meetings are free. You don't even really have to have anything for the baskets or anything. When we're online now with Zoom and what have you, that's free too. Um, so there's... You know, that, and I've known a lot of people that have gotten sober just coming into 12-step program. You know, my hat is awesome. I probably couldn't have done that, but I'm glad, you know. And so when, so when people like us are there, we can say, welcome, welcome home. Right, yeah, right, yep, it, yeah. You know, and just try to impart what was given to us. And, you know, the biggest thing is that most people feel most people are seeking love. And that's probably one of the biggest things that a new person needs. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah. and to that, you know, so many people have you have to connect to something bigger than the problem. And if that's a friend or a community or logging on to Zoom, that's the beginning of something mm-hmm. new. What about you, Barry? What do, what do you want people to know who are struggling with addiction? that this program works, that it really does work, no matter what people think, you know, how big the problem may seem, you know, no matter how long you've been doing it, it works. I cannot tell you how many people we have seen that have, you know, been in jail 10 years or whatever and come out uh, and get this program. How many people have lived in Skid Row in cardboard boxes for years doing this thing. And I mean, you look at them and they're the people that are pushing baskets and they come in here today, they have master's degrees and bachelor's degrees. And we have watched them, Michelle and I, we, we, our home group is a meeting called the Saturday five o'clock women's meeting, um, self-acceptance meeting. And we have watched people with extreme levels of dual diagnosed mental health issues, coming out of jail, coming out of cardboard box living, you know, just horrendous life. You know, ours was dysfunction and chaos, but we've got people that three, four, five times worse who uh, own homes now. That's amazing. Who, their lives would, uh, the same as us, 
are not recognizable, but their stories are 12 times worse than ours. This program works, you know, and this thing works. But as we said earlier, there has to be a small level of willingness. You didn't have to have it in the beginning, but you have to stay long enough to get it. They say, you know, uh, don't leave five minutes before the miracle happens. Yeah. The miracle is when you become willing. Yeah. So you have it in the beginning, but whatever it takes, we used to have women because the meeting that we go to is an all women's meeting, a lesbian gay, gay, gay uh, meeting. Wait, you guys are lesbians? Yeah. Michelle. Okay. Good. Michelle is okay. My friend is. I have a girlfriend. I think she is. But um, but but uh we used to have women that came to the meeting because they thought they could find a partner or whatever it is. And we said, whatever, come for whatever reason you want to come for, just stay. I love that. And and we and they've stayed, you know, they've and their partners sometimes have left. But mm. that partner who came in here either kept trying to catch someone or coming with their partner stayed. And we have straight women that come to our meeting. Oh, my yeah. God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they may or may not be. No, just <laughs> They say they are. They say they are. <laughs> well, I just want to say that um, you know how I feel about you both. Shelly Shell and B Money, I couldn't go the whole show without saying uh how I refer to you. I love you both very much. I have so much respect for you. I appreciate your story. Thank you for being here to help others. Um, and we'd love to have you back to talk about other yeah, aspects of the journey. so inspiring. Thank Perfect. you both. Yeah, it's great. You guys, thank you for putting this on. Thank you, you both. Right. Thanks, we'll have you back. Bye. Bye. See you guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.